well met everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So this week, just like the title suggests of the episode, I'm going to be talking about some of the different martial arts styles. Now, for anyone who's ever studied martial arts at all, you know that there's hundreds of different variations and styles. And now with mixed martial arts, where people have taken pieces of different styles and put them together, there's even more. So I'm going to be focusing on three of the bigger, more well-known ones. If you happen to practice a different style, I apologize that I'm not touching on that one much, but honestly, with half an hour, I, you know, I can't do all of them. It'll just take too long. So I'm going to be talking about karate, kung fu, and taekwondo. Now, going into the full history of all of them, again, would be tricky because there's so much information out there. I'm going to try to give at least a quick history of each of them and then describe some of the differences in terms of the fighting style itself. I myself studied martial arts for five years starting at the end of middle school and all through my high school years. And I did some in college, but not as much. I went away for college for far enough away that I couldn't really easily go back to my old martial arts studio. And I just didn't find one that fit well for me when I was in college. The martial arts style that I studied is a mixed martial art. It's called Bak Fudo, which roughly translates to the way of the white tiger. It was um, basically a martial artist Richard Lee took sort of the what he considered the most efficient and deadly portions, which sounds really bad, but it's true, deadly and efficient portions of several different martial arts and put them all together. So in the style I studied, white belts were learning how to, you know, knock down enemies by gouging eyes and things like that. So that style was very intense. And then I just never found one that I clicked with later. But some of the styles that are included in Bak Fudo are also the ones I'm going to talk about today. There's Karate, there is Kung Fu, and there's Taekwondo. There's also some Jiu-Jitsu and stuff thrown in, which is another bigger one that a lot of people practice. I'm not as familiar with it, which is why I hesitated to cover it in this episode. I might touch on it a little, but I'm going to start off with the one I'm most familiar with, which is Karate. Karate is the Japanese martial art. Most people have heard of it, and in fact, a lot of times people will refer to martial arts in general as karate, even though that's not technically accurate. Karate and kung fu are both sort of the two biggest well-known names in terms of different styles of martial arts, but not everyone actually understands what the difference is. A lot of people know that karate comes from Japan and kung fu is more Chinese-based. However, there's other differences as well, just in the way the style is practiced and the way that the moves are done. If you look at a martial arts movie, especially if you're looking at like a Jackie Chan movie or a Jet Li movie, they practice kung fu, different styles of kung fu. And kung fu is a lot more fluid. Karate, the motions are much more um, sort of distinctive. There's nothing flowy about karate except for some of the kicks usually karate is very very just sharp movements so you don't 
slide your arm in front of your face in a fluid motion like in a kung fu movie. Instead, much like in the old Karate Kid movies, your arm is snapping across your face instead. And yeah, I just did the motion out of habit as I was describing it. But you know, that's a whole other thing. So karate started in Japan and it was actually partly based off of a local martial art from a kingdom that Japan sort of took over and conquered at one point. There was in some indigenous people, now where they originated from to get to the island, I didn't look into all of that, but um, Ryukyan martial arts, and I'm not saying that 100% right, and they called their martial art te, which is hand in Japanese. Um, karate actually roughly translates to empty hand because the way that karate started has to do with the fact that peasants were not allowed to carry weapons. So if you look at karate weapons, the majority of those weapons were also things that could be used as um, farming implements. The bow staff, the long straight staff, was something that was used to carry buckets over your shoulder. The um, nunchakus, which have the chain in between the two sticks, those were used to wrap around wheat stalks, and then you would use the butt end of them to smash the wheat to get the pieces off. Like, these are actual farming implements that they turned into weapons so that they could defend themselves against their feudal lords, who were the samurai. The samurai... That martial art that involves the swords is more of a uh, kendo style of martial art. So if anyone's ever looked into martial arts or watched enough anime, you'll sometimes see them practicing kendo, which is them fighting with the wooden sticks and they're hitting each other. It's kind of like Japanese fencing. It's not exactly the same, but it's somewhat a similar idea. There's a whole sport around it and there's competitions. And basically, depending on where you hit each other, you get more points or less points. So it's a lot like fencing in that way. However, it's based off of the samurai abilities with their samurai swords, with the katanas. And so kendo and also um, bushido, the way of the samurai. So those are very intermingled. But because that society norm existed where the samurai and their feudal lords, they were allowed to have weapons and the peasants were not. The peasants figured out a way to defend themselves because unfortunately not every samurai was honor as honorable as others or what their honor dictated they do didn't always line up with the best interests of the peasants. And so they found ways to turn all of these weapons that they had around the farm, things that they used every day, into actual weapons they could fight with. So like I said, the bow staff, the nunchakus, um, also things like the kama, which for anyone who doesn't know, a kama is K-A-M-A, and it is a weapon where you've got sort of a short scythe blade. It's a handheld weapon. So you will see them in some um, martial arts movies that involve karate, but basically they look like two handheld scythes, and they're small and portable, but those would be used to reap the wheat. So you would hold your kama in one hand, hold the wheat with the other, slice through the stalks, and then collect your wheat that way. It was a very common and, for obvious reasons, used regularly tool. You could also use them for rice and things like that. So 
those types of weapons are what then led them into being able to defend themselves. And that's why it's called karate, empty hand, because they quote unquote didn't have weapons. Obviously, they figured out ways to make them. But the movements are very firm and harsh and snapping. So you don't, there's not as many, there's some, but there's not as many spinning kicks and things like that. And if you do um, more fluid motions, it's it doesn't happen as often. A lot of the motions are very crisp instead of very fluid and floaty. Whereas in Kung Fu, which is the second style I'm going to talk about, in Kung Fu, a lot of the motions are much more fluid. So instead of sn- having a fist and snapping your arm across your face to block a punch, you would f- sort of uh, float your elbow in and snap your wrist out at the end, almost like a, a wavy push to get the hand from coming at you to not hit you in the face. I'm trying to describe this as best I can. Obviously, most people, I'm sure, have seen at least one or two martial arts movies in their lives, if you're listening to my podcast. I mean, if you're a child, maybe not, because some of those can be really gruesome. But if you're an adult, which I'm assuming most of my audience probably is, I don't know, then um, you know what I'm talking about. If you watch a movie that's from Japan, so any kind of martial arts movie from Japan itself, the movements are often very crisp and sharp and you know, there's not a lot of flowy hands waving up behind you kind of motions. It's a lot of punch, punch, kick, kick, you know, very firm, hard motions, very crisp movements. Whereas if you watch a Kung Fu movie from China, one of their martial arts movies, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, for example, things are very, very flowy. There's a lot of fluid movements. There's a lot of my arms are swirling around me to block you and then all of a sudden I throw a hand out and it smacks into you and you go flying backwards. It's a lot more fluid looking and that's honestly one of the big differences between the two styles is that karate generally speaking is a very very crisp harsh movement sort of martial art whereas you know, and sudden strikes and things like that, that you put your whole body behind, whereas Kung Fu has a lot more fluid motions, and then you suddenly snap your energy into a punch or a hit of some kind. So that's one of the big differences. And in case you all couldn't tell, I really like talking about martial arts, so this is a fun episode for me. One thing that's important to note also is that in terms of karate, it is often more of a striking type of art. So you do block and protect yourself, but a lot of it is hard strikes. So lots of punches and kicks that are hard strikes, knees and elbows. There are some open hands, um, such as there's a one they call a knife hand, which is basically your flat hand. But what you do is you stiffen your muscles that are in your hand and you attack with the side. So like the karate chops that you see in martial arts movies, that's usually done with a knife hand, where if you look closely at some of those, you can actually see that their arm is tensed, their hand is tensed. In some cases, like I'm actually doing it right now to see what my hand looks like, when I put my hand into the correct form, some of their fingers might curl because you've got your muscles tightened in order to protect your fingers. And also because it helps make sure that your fingers don't get in the way of something and smash into the wrong part of your hand, because that's a bad idea. You'll also notice that even though they're chopping, if they're doing it 
correctly. So if they're not just going through the motions really quick to not hurt their opponent in a martial arts film, but if you actually see it, like if they're breaking boards or if you see them doing it in a competition where they're actually hitting each other in some way, you'll probably notice that when they strike, they're not hitting so that the edge of their hand is centered where they're hitting. So for instance, they're not hitting where their pinky and their palm meet. They're actually hitting with the side of their palm. And that's because if you hit with the side that's near your fingers, you're going to break your fingers. And that's a bad idea. Also, an important thing to note in all martial arts, and this is just generally good knowledge that I think everyone should have for their own self-defense purposes. If you're throwing a punch at someone, do not, do not tuck your thumb into your fist. So if you make a fist, if your automatic instinct is to make a fist with your thumb tucked under your fingers, you need to not do that. If you make a fist that way and then punch someone, you're going to break your thumb because your thumb is now right where all of the impact is going to go and that pressure will break your finger. It is a bad idea. What you're supposed to do is curl your forefingers in and then you tuck your thumb sort of across the space between your first and second knuckles, that's where your thumb should go. If your thumb is in is under your fingers, you need to train yourself to stop doing that if you're going to punch at anything because you will hurt yourself, and I do not recommend it. Another important thing is to make sure that you line everything up correctly so that you don't jam your wrist. Um... I don't want to encourage any physical violence, so I don't really want to go into more details than that, uh, just because this also isn't a I'm teaching you how to fight podcast, but the, the not tucking your thumb thing is really important and it will protect you from hurting yourself. Obviously, I hope you never have to use this information, but I think it's important because I don't like the idea of someone trying to defend themselves and then breaking their thumb in the process. So do not tuck your thumb under your fingers when you throw a punch. Your thumb should go over the top of your fingers. Moving on. Um, there are some types of karate that also involve things like grappling and throws and joint locks and restraints. Those tend to be more modern styles as opposed to old traditional styles, but it is something that does sometimes get included as well. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick break for our mid-roll, and then when I come back, I will talk about the other two kinds of martial arts. Well, the other two kinds that are in today's episode. Okay, so real quick, I want to talk about three things. First off is our two sponsors, World Anvil. If you do any kind of world building or anything like that, you need to check out worldanvil.com. It's an amazing resource. They've got so much you can do to build your worlds, whether you're a writer or a dungeon master, doesn't matter. It's amazing. You should check it out, worldanvil.com. The next thing I want to talk about is Die Hard Dice. Die Hard Dice are gorgeous. They're amazing. They're nice and heavy when you roll the metal ones, and they're just, they're so beautiful. They have so many different color combinations. I can't rave about them enough. It's dieharddice.com, and if you use the coupon code geekthyself, all one word, at checkout, you will get 15, that's 1-5% off of your next purchase. Or if it's your first purchase, it'll be 15% off of your first purchase. Either way, the code only works one time, but it's still a good deal. Get that 15% off with code GeekThyself. 
Okay, and last thing I want to talk about is next week, two things. One, it's the first week of our subscription drive. Woo! The 2019 subscription drive. Um, sorry, I was quiet with the woo because I didn't want to hurt anyone's ears if they're listening on headphones. But um, our subscription drive is going to be from April 16th all the way through April 30th. It's the last two weeks of the month. And what we're going to be doing is sort of promoting subscriptions. So for anyone who isn't aware, subscriptions through the Nerdsmith site, through um, nerdsmith.org slash donate, is how you can support the creators here at the Nerdsmith Network. Like me, for example. I'm one of the creators. We have 50 different creators, give or take. I can't remember the exact number right now, but we have a lot of amazing creators creating a lot of amazing content. And the majority of the year, we don't push for subscriptions. We mention it occasionally, but it's not something we focus on. But really, your subscriptions provide money to the creators so that they can keep improving their product for you, keep improving the show, you know, buy new equipment, things like that. It helps basically elevate their ability to create for you. And on top of that, there's the fact that if you sign up during the subscription drive or if you increase your subscription level during the subscription drive, you actually get a bunch of cool swag also. I can't give away all the details yet because they haven't officially been announced, but there's going to be some fun stuff depending on what level you sign up as. You can find out a lot of it at nerdsmith.org slash donate. There's a list of several of the things that you get just standard for signing up. I can tell you that one of the things that's in the works is a special 2019 subscriber pin. It's a fun design. We haven't released it yet, so I can't talk about it, but you'll definitely enjoy it. And with that, I think we're going to get back into this week's topic, and I will talk to you some more soon. Okay, so back into it. So I've already mentioned several times, but Kung Fu is a much more flowy style. It is also a style that originated in China as opposed to Karate, which originated in Japan. And Kung Fu, I had a little trouble finding a direct translation of Kung Fu. Most of the stuff I found basically said that Kung Fu has become a term that sort of just translates to Chinese martial arts. I know that's not 100% accurate, but I really had trouble finding an actual like English translation. And since I don't speak Chinese, I was limited on options for that one. But Kung Fu is a martial art that originates from China. It's also sometimes called or referred to as Wushu and also Kuang Fa which again, I am not necessarily saying those correctly. So if I mispronounced it horribly and anyone who actually speaks Chinese is listening to this, I apologize. But it's um, a study that often focuses more on patience and like I said, the more flowy movements. It's also not one that necessarily has a specific focus in terms of the kinds of strikes you're doing. There's a lot of kicks and a lot of punches. There's also a lot more open-handed strikes, so a lot more chops, but also the blocks themselves tend to be open hand instead of a closed fist. So if you ever watch a martial arts movie that's kung fu based, you might notice that a lot of times when they're blocking punches and things like that, the whoever's defending themselves their hands are open so like if someone throws a punch and they sweep their hand in a big circle across their face to block the punch a lot of times their hand is open and they sort of have their hand out and their wrist 
the inside of their wrist facing in kind of thing. So like they almost like they're holding a, a serving tray. They sweep the hand out of their face or they'll go the other way and they'll, they'll block it with their open hand sort of snapping across and grabbing the attacker's wrist, that sort of thing. They have open-handed blocks and strikes as opposed to karate, which tends to focus on a closed fist strike. So you have a closed fist when you block the punch and kick and things like that. That's one of the biggest differences. Honestly, for me, at least aesthetically, I like both, but I'm also biased because the martial art I studied was a combination heavily of those two types of martial arts. It did have other bits and pieces put into it as well, like I mentioned, but the two primary focuses for the style I studied, Bakufudo, were Kung Fu based and Karate based. So there was a lot of strikes, but then there was also a lot of flowing movements. So those are the ones I gravitate to personally. Now, one thing that I also like about Kung Fu is that it's very, very balanced. There's not necessarily a strong focus, at least not with most of the styles you see, where they focus just on punches or just on kicks or anything like that. It's a lot of both. There's a lot of whole body movements and flips and things like that too, depending on the style, which I think is a very cool aesthetic and also quite effective in combat because you're not using just one type of movement, you're using all kinds of movement. Now, I do want to be clear All of the martial arts I'm talking about today are effective in combat, if you know what you're doing. I don't think that someone should watch a martial arts movie and then go try and copy everything that the martial artist does. It takes years of training to do some of those moves correctly without hurting yourself, especially for some of the ones that involve like flips or kicking through a board or something like that. Like you need training. You shouldn't just go kick a piece of wood and hope you break it. You might get lucky and hit with the right part of your foot and not hurt yourself, but I do not recommend doing that. Another thing I like about Kung Fu, again, is all the different types that there are out there. Just like for Karate, there's a lot of different variations of Kung Fu. There tend to be ones I think that we're more familiar with. For example, you know, obviously Bruce Lee is a very famous Kung Fu martial artist. He studied Jeet Kune Do, was the name of his style specifically that he taught people. And, you know, that was a perfect example of a martial art that was very beautiful and flowy, but also very powerful. He was, you know, obviously from everything we've all seen, a very, very good, powerful, strong martial artist. It's also a good example of how in martial arts, especially, you don't necessarily have to be big and beefy. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't moments where it helps, Like, for instance, I'm 5'1", and I'm female, which doesn't mean I'm weak by any means. I consider myself pretty strong. But that doesn't mean that if 5'1", me, goes up against a 7, well, not 7 feet, 6'2", tall guy, that I'm necessarily going to win. Now, if he has no martial arts experience, and I do then, you know, maybe, I mean, he might, I might get lucky and hit him in the right spot. And, you know, then he's just going to be in trouble. But it's, there's a lot of factors. So just because you know martial arts isn't an automatic, yes, I'm going to win. And just because you know martial arts also does not mean that you should use them. One thing that, in my experience at least, is pretty universally taught in most martial arts studios and most martial arts practices is that martial arts are for defending yourself. You are not supposed to go out and seek out a fight. 
Now, obviously, there's people who compete in martial arts, and that's a little different because they're doing a competition, but it's a controlled competition. There's rules and regulations, and there's things they're allowed to do and not do. And in quite a few of those fights, there's also padding that you wear to protect yourself. So it is not the same as going out on the street and picking a fight with someone just because you can. I know there are, you know, in movies and things like that, or a good example is Karate Kid, where that most people know, you know, the, the Cobra Kai were very bully-esque and very combative and all of that. So I'm sure there are people out there who practice martial arts in that way, unfortunately, but that is generally not the way I've ever personally seen it practiced and taught. That doesn't mean there aren't people out there. And if you've ever run into one of them, I'm very, very sorry. That sucks. And I wish it hadn't happened to you. But it is not generally the vibe that I have seen personally at most martial arts studios. Um, Okay, so moving on from Kung Fu. Didn't mean to get, you know, deep or anything there. Just stating a fact. Moving on from uh, Kung Fu, we're going to move into Taekwondo. So Taekwondo is another martial arts style. It's a very, very popular one. There's a lot of studios, especially here in California where I am. There's uh, a lot of different ones, including, you know, there's a chain of them called like Ernie Reyes, East, West Coast, something like that. But they're very, very popular. One thing that I do think is very interesting about Taekwondo is that it's actually much newer of a martial art. It wasn't developed until closer to the 1940s and 1950s. And what happened is that some Korean martial artists who had experience in karate, but also in things like kung fu, they took that and mixed it with their Korean sort of more traditional martial arts, things like, and I'm so sorry, anyone who's listening that's Korean, I'm about to butcher these words. So sorry. Taekyon, Subak, and Gwonbap, I think it's something like that. I'm sorry. Um, but those were some of the more traditional indigenous Korean styles, and they mixed karate and kung fu into them to create the taekwondo that you and I know today. Now, one thing that's interesting, and I think is very indicative of the style of taekwondo, is that the translation is essentially... Um, the art of kicking and punching. The reason that I say this is so indicative of the style is because if you've ever seen someone who practices Taekwondo actually performing their martial art, it's a lot of kicks. Now, they do have punches and strikes as well, but, and honestly, even some people I know who've practiced Taekwondo will say this as well, Taekwondo is mostly kicking. Now, there is punching. It it is included in this as well, but a lot of it is kicking. And you'll actually hear other martial artists who don't practice Taekwondo talk about it as well. Like, oh yeah, Taekwondo, it's all kicks. Now, it is still very effective. It's a good martial art and it still works very well, but it is very kick heavy. So if you happen to be someone who would rather throw punches or if you're all upper body strength and have no leg strength, then Taekwondo probably isn't the martial art for you. If you're someone who, on the other hand, has a good center of gravity and it has good strong legs, but maybe isn't as strong in your upper body, then for you, Taekwondo may not be as high on your list of choices. You know, it just depends. There's 
oh, excuse me, then if you have strong legs and a less strong upper body, then Taekwondo might be good for you, is what I meant to say. But it also just depends on what kind of style you want to learn. Because Taekwondo took um, bits and pieces of Kung Fu and also Karate, it has a mix of hard strikes and kicks, but also more flowy, jumpy kicks. So it's often characterized with things like spinning kicks to the head, for example. And in fact, if you look up Taekwondo online, you'll see that according to the Taekwondo wiki, this was just too perfect, so I had to share it. It literally says that it is a Korean martial art, which is characterized by its emphasis on head height kicks, jumping and spinning kicks, and fast kicking techniques, which is very true. Taekwondo is a good martial art, but it is very, very kick focused. If you ever watch a Taekwondo match, or if you see Taekwondo used in any kind of martial arts setting, it is a lot of kicking. Again, that's a perfectly valid thing. It's a good martial art. I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on it because I am not trying to, but it is very kick heavy as opposed to things like Taekwondo and, excuse me, like Kung Fu and Karate, which are more evenly mixed between kicks and punches. Now, all of these styles are good styles. They're all a lot of fun. Um, I do find it very interesting that Taekwondo is a newer style, considering how well known it is now. But it was, like I said, it was developed in the 1940s and 50s, which is also when a lot more Asian culture started filtering its way over from the Asian countries into the U.S. And actually, the 1940s and 50s, I'd have to look up the exact dates, but if I'm remembering correctly, the Korean War happened during the 1950s, and there are some people who, you know, some U.S. Army GIs married Korean women and brought them home as well, so Korean culture started coming over here more during that time frame. Also interesting fact is that um, in a lot of Korean Taekwondo, or excuse me, in a lot of Taekwondo studios, it does seem like they, mm, I hesitate to say this because it sounds bad and I don't mean it as a bad thing necessarily, but I think it's good for younger people. Like if you're trying to get your kids into martial arts and you want one that's going to hold their interest and make them feel accomplished, I think Taekwondo is a good starter point um, simply because in a lot of Taekwondo studios, at least the ones I'm familiar with around here, I don't know about all of them, so I'm not trying to, you know, incite anything, but at least for the ones that I have personal experience with because I had friends who were in them or because I've seen, you know, looked in on their studios and considered going there, it does seem like a lot of them have uh, programs where they move people through the belt levels very, very quickly. Again, this is not all of them, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about them. It's just the truth. There are one of the studios, and I won't name it because, again, I'm not trying to start stuff, but one of the studios that I had a friend in high school go through, she actually told me flat out that they had belt tests pretty much every six months. For anyone who isn't familiar with martial arts or the study of it, you know, you've probably heard the term black belt and brown belt and all that. A lot of the martial arts styles do use belts as an indicator of rank. And it's done that way so that you can easily look at your fellow classmates and be like, oh, that person's ahead of me, that person's behind me, that person I need to look up to, they can help me, they can train me, that kind of thing. It's a quick indicator. 
There's also a lot of studios, the one I practiced at as well, that will use some sort of special indicator on the belt to indicate that someone is a teacher. Myself, I taught some of our younger kids at the studio when I was practicing, and we would mark our belts with a red stripe. The red stripe meant that you were an instructor. So if someone had a question or something, they could come talk to you, and it was an easy way for people to look and go, okay, that person is the one I go ask. But with those belt levels, you know, especially when you're younger, I think for young children, moving through the belt levels quickly makes you feel better. It makes you feel like you're getting more done and like you're more accomplished. Now, depending on the kind of style that you think will work best for your child, maybe Taekwondo isn't it. For example, if your kids have, I don't know, I can't think of a reason why it wouldn't work, but... um. In general, that is something about the Taekwondo studios that I have seen personally is that a lot of them tend to have very, very quick belt upgrades when you're first starting out, which is good, I think, for younger children because it makes them feel more encouraged to keep going. I do know that there are um, Kung Fu and Karate studios out there who do something similar or they'll have like junior programs versus adult programs which I think is very important. Another important thing for everyone out there to know is that just because you have a black belt doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be able to defend yourself against everybody. There's a lot of things out there that you can't defend yourself from even with martial arts. My head instructor, um, when I was at the studio I practiced at in San Jose, would always tell us that if someone comes at you with a gun... The first thing you should do is use your legs and run away because your fist cannot stop a gun. Not necessarily quickly enough. You might be able to get out of the way. You might be able to hit them before they can kill you, but there's no guarantee. And if they're coming at you with a gun, you should protect yourself and not try to fight that. Because you have a part of really being a true martial artist is knowing when to fight, when not to fight, when to defend yourself, when to try to de-escalate the situation, and when to just get yourself out because it's too dangerous. So for anyone who is a martial artist, for anyone who's out there thinking about starting it up, I do recommend it. It's an awesome, awesome practice. I really want to get back into it, but again, I have to find a studio that I mesh with, which is another thing. If you've had one bad martial arts experience at some point, you know, maybe you went to the studio and the school bully was in the class or something like that and so you never went back again please please if you think it's something that you would enjoy go look into it again you know there's a lot of different places where you can take classes relatively inexpensively depending on where you're located you might be able to find some classes at your local ymca or ywca that you can go check out and see if you like it and they're relatively inexpensive so it's not hard there's also a lot of martial arts studios where if you ask them just ask them go to to go talk to someone who's in charge or at the front desk or whatever you can often audit a class not necessarily take the class with the students but at least kind of sit off to the side and watch to get an idea of whether or not it's a kind of style and environment that you would enjoy and you know if you watch the class and the instructors screaming at their students which I hope isn't happening but it's possible then maybe that's not the studio for you and if you go watch and you know the the instructor is being 
you know, too nice to some of the students and you think they should be more critiquing, then, you know, that's maybe not the one for you. And then it, you might find the one that's just right, right in the middle. It's going to depend on what kind of martial art you want to study and how you want to study. But if you've ever been discouraged by it in the past, I would definitely recommend try again. You know, give it a shot, talk to people, maybe inquire with friends if anyone practices or knows of another friend who practices that has a good studio because that's a great way to get introduced to one is to already know someone going in. That's not how my brother and I happened to do it. My parents looked for places that were around our house, found one that was close, and um, we went and checked it out. They had a, you, you paid a certain amount of money and you did three private lessons with an instructor to sort of ease you into the style and the information. And then after that, you would be presented with your white belt, your starter belt. And if you kept going, then of course you would advance. I actually got to a green belt, which was... Our studio went green, brown, black. So I got to a green belt, and my brother, who was there two years longer than me since he was younger, um, so he kept going while I started college, he got to a brown belt. And we were there for, you know, five years. Well, he was there for seven. I was there for five. So you just have to find the right studio that meshes with how you want to practice and what you want to do. And with that, I'm going to call this episode good. Again, don't forget to hit up nerdsmith.org slash donate to find out more information about our sub drive as it becomes available. And I will talk to you guys next week. Please remember to check out all the other wonderful shows and productions that we have at nerdsmith.org. You can submit questions or topic suggestions to me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic with a CK, or you can email me at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. Until then, don't forget to geek thyself. So you already love D&D, obviously, but you want to sharpen your skills as a DM or player, right? Enter Dear DM, a Dungeons & Dragons advice podcast where I sit down with your favorite dungeon masters and answer D&D questions asked by you. Natural 20 is nudist. Um... <laughs> a plot kanku. Uh, charisma. Dump sack charisma. <laughs> really? Great questions in the community today. Some really fun bits to, to talk on and expand on. So Episodes release every other Tuesday and are available at nerdsmith.org or wherever you get your podcasts.